All right. Um, thank you for all your questions for the last couple of weeks. That's um, been, or last six weeks. Um, that's been really helpful. Having them come in, it's helped, I think, make Michael probably shape how he's approached some of the series. Um, and thank you so much for those who have been really vulnerable. There's been a few, you know, stories and stuff that have come in that I've thought, oh, man, I so wish I could speak with that person and just sit and hear their story in person rather than reading it. Um, so just thank you for all those who have been really vulnerable. Some of the questions have been really vulnerable, and I know that there's some security in asking them anonymously, but uh, we just thank you anyway for just, you know, putting words to perhaps what you were feeling inside. Um, so we've called today Q&A, but it's probably Q and wrestling a little bit with some of the questions. So... Uh, I assure you, Michael and Ellie don't have all of the answers. Um, but God does, yeah. All right, so we'll just jump straight into it. Is there anything you want to share, Michael, before we... Oh, yeah, just on, on that, you know, um, with this whole topic, we, we want black and white answers because we feel safe when we have black and white answers. Uh, uh, but this is messy. And, and the only way that we can navigate that is, is exactly right. God has the answer. The only way is to continually point us to Jesus. That is the key thing with all of this. And I, I hope you've seen as we've gone through this series, I've always um, uh, given two options and then going, actually, neither of those are complete. The only complete answer is Jesus. And so I think we need to be really careful that we're not trying to park in one side or the other. We have to be continually bringing people to Jesus and bringing our, our questions to Jesus um, so that we can embody him. That what, what's true might be true, but it becomes truth when we embody it. Until we're actually living it out with people in the mess, then it's truth. So I, just, yeah, so I, so I really want us to, yeah, we're going to wrestle with these questions, not give answers. Yeah. Hope that helps, yeah. All right, so the first question. How can we show respect to someone living a non-Christian lifestyle without making them think we're okay with their lifestyle? Yeah, yeah, it is a good question. I think, um, I, for me, I look at that question and then I, I wanna ask another question, which is um, why, why do we feel like we have to make sure people know we're not okay with their lifestyle? <laughs> what, what's that about? I'm not 100% sure. Um, but, in John 16, um, Jesus said this. He said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So in other words, like, the Holy Spirit's role is to convict the world of sin. That is not my role. My role is to love. Um, and so I, I feel like sometimes if we feel like we have to make sure people know I disagree with their lifestyle, we are stepping into the role of the Holy Spirit. And, and for me, it feels a little bit like we don't actually trust that he is able to do his role. We don't trust the gospel. Um, but our role is to love people, lead them to Jesus, and let the Holy Spirit do what he is actually well able to do. Yeah. So I would sort of push back and know, why, why do we feel like we need to make sure they know that? Just love them, walk with them. Um, love is the most redemptive power on the face of the planet because God is love. Yeah. Yeah, I can add on to that. I think so too. Often it's, it comes back to that trust thing when we 
we're not trusting God in that. And often, like, yes, they're living in a relationship that we know that's probably might not be the healthiest thing for them, but there's actually layers to God's healing. And he might, we want God to deal with this because yeah. it's what we see as the big thing. But actually, the big thing is usually much deeper. And he actually has to peel back the layers. And of, often that isn't, God's actually more concerned about their heart yeah. than that. And often we're looking at that, and actually God's looking at the heart. So I think I totally agree. I think it's it's the Holy. It's, we need to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm presuming that the question is talking about someone who's not a believer. Um, you know, and so that's a different conversation then if we're walking with a believer. You know. But even when they come to Jesus, we can't expect all the. No. All yeah. the, everything to come in alignment, like bang, straight away. Like definitely in my life, it's been a long journey and I'm still on that journey. And so you have to reflect back and go, okay, how's God moved in my life? Yes, he heals instantly. Yes, he changes things in an instant, but some things take time and we have to trust him in that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Michael, yeah. Yes. Could you please read this scripture again with all that in mind? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For I do not, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. Who's the Holy Spirit? But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness. So he's calling us up into our righteousness as well. Not our own self-righteousness, his righteousness. And judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Yeah, cool. All right, so this next question follows on really well. So this is actually a real-life question from someone. Um, so I meet Jesus later in life, and quite a few of my closest friends are gay, married, and some with children. We've never discussed my faith in detail, and when they ask me how I can be at church, my response is generally that I follow Jesus, not a church. It's not my place to judge anyone, and I will always love you. I've enjoyed hearing more on the LGBTQ plus community and the gospel and will continue to research, but I wonder what are your thoughts on these relationships and how can I journey alongside them and introduce them to Jesus without them hearing that I want to break up their marriage? Yeah, that's a really good, um, that's a really good question. What I would probably um, like to do for that question is just give a, a recommendation. Um, there's a, a book uh, by, um, I've written his name down because it's really hard to pronounce, um, Caleb Coltonback. Caleb Coltonback. Um, it's a book called Messy Grace, um, and he has an amazing personal story. Um, but he uh, is someone who is uh, doing a lot of stuff in the LGBTQ um, space and in really, really redemptive ways. And he, I've heard him actually talk about specific stories about um, uh, you know um, uh, a lesbian couple in a marriage and how he journeyed that with them. And you know so. Uh, this is messy, and he's right in the mess of it. And so it's, I think when we um, think about all of these questions, it's really important that we, we look at who is already doing this journey really well, um, because they, they, are, they, have, they have not just opinions, they actually have redemptive stories, and are able to say, this is, this is what we're doing, this is how we're navigating it. Um, and he's someone that, get, that actually gets called into other churches to help other churches navigate particular scenario, scenarios and stuff, and so, um, so I just recommend that, and then take the previous question as well, you know, just, just love them and point them to Jesus, um, uh, the goal is not straight, the goal is Jesus, yeah. You heard that, the goal is not straight, the goal is Jesus. 
let Jesus work out the details of that. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is a much better healer, he said. <laughs> All right, Ali, we've got a question for you. So how do we teach our kids about sex and sexuality in an age-appropriate way? Awesome. I think leading on from the first one with the Holy Spirit, I think um, definitely as a parent, it's definitely, especially as a female in the house, we cultivate the atmosphere of our home. Um, so I think first it's actually cultivating that atmosphere where the Holy Spirit's welcome in the home, where you've got that behind you and you're guided by that. Um, with your children, it's all about connection. Yeah. It's about connection. I mean, every child is going to be at a different stage and age um, and also to what their friends are exposing them to. Um, but what, however, I've always seen it. I've listened to a message a while ago. Um, there's a great resource called Moral Revolution. And Chris Valentine used to lead that. And I remember him once saying, um, it's important to be the first person to talk to your children because that's where their measure is. So whatever they learn first about sex, if it's from their friends, that's actually their bar. That's where they're going to set their standard. If you come in afterwards, it's actually coming in below what their friends have already taught them or someone else in their life if they've learned it off TV, whatever they've learned it off. So it's really, I've been as a parent knowing that it's very important for me to be the person setting the bar. Um, so once again, if I'm in my home and I'm letting, um, if I'm watching lots of really inappropriate TV programs and my children are around, I'm actually letting that program set the bar. So I have to be wise in what I'm exposing my children to, and I need to be led by the Holy Spirit in that. So with Savannah, I think she was about, about nine when we started the conversations. But I'm not going full out on everything. I'm just starting the conversations. I'm finding out where she's at, what's going on, and having that connection, and we've just evolved that as time's gone on. Um, Israel's a similar age. Yeah. Yeah, he was about nine as well. Yeah, well, he's nine now. So we, we've yeah. just, uh, this year, I've started having those conversations with him. Um, so we've had a couple of real honest conversations. Um, Israel knows what porn is, not because someone showed it, at him, showed it to him at school, yeah. but because I've talked to him about it. Um, so I wanted to get in on that conversation first. I think as well with Savannah, I remember Ellie had a book that um, we threw, you know, all the <laughs> male book. and female body parts. And I think all I was that pregnant sort of at the time, and it shows how a woman gets pregnant yeah. and how where you deliver a baby. And I remember reading it to her, and I was like, do you have any questions? And she's like, <laughs> and then I was like, well, if you ever have any questions, like, how about we revisit it tomorrow and I can see. So I think it's really important to follow up. Just don't be like, did that, yeah, shut the yeah. door. So the next day I said, hey, babe, do you want to go for a walk and we can talk about that book I read to you yesterday? And she's like, I'm like, I, I think it's a good idea. Like, let's just go for a walk if you've got any questions. And I think it's, it's a constant follow-up. You just don't tell them once and then that's it. Yeah. It's actually, because at first it's quite overwhelming. And I don't know about you, often if someone tells me some big stuff, it takes me a while to... Yeah. For the cogs to kink over. Yeah. Um, so I think it's really important with your children just to go back and have those conversations. And now especially Savannah heading into the 13, um, it's having that connection and relationship with her because a lot comes in special, especially by phones, what their friends are doing. Everyone's got different values in their home and it's constantly bringing it back to, well, in our house, this is what we believe. Mm. In our family, this is what we, like, because they're like, but my friends do this and that, and it's constantly bringing back, well, actually, us as a family, this is what we believe. And I think it's tying the children to have that belonging and that security and that place and constantly bringing it back. Yes, the world can be doing that. But I often say to our kids, it says in the Bible, we're called to be different. We're called to be aliens. Yeah. And the kids always think that's really funny. I'm like, we're called to be aliens in this world. We're yeah. called to be different. And it's okay to be set apart because God's going to bless you in this and it's going to be okay. And I often always say to someone, but no matter what you do, I'm always going to love you. I said, you can never, I can not be disproved with your behavior, but I'll never stop loving you. You always got to separate. So if your children, I think part of the question too is if, if they do do something 
and they yep. want to come to you. Uh, so what is the best way to talk to our kids if they do something they shouldn't, e.g. playing rude games or trying to touch each other, etc.? Yeah, I think that once comes back to um, as parents also modelling and loving ourselves first to show our children and letting them know that that's not okay, but letting them know once again, separating them from the behaviours so that they don't feel like they're a dirty, disgusting person because um, we don't want our kids to feel that. There's grace, there's redemption, there's love. So it's constantly... Um, we have had incidents where we've had um, a young boy actually do something with Israel which was inappropriate and who was quite young at this age and is actually taking Israel aside and us as parents praying over him, letting him know it's going to be okay and that that type of thing is not okay. And how does that make you feel? Mm. And debriefing the children. And once again, it's something you constantly have to come back at because children take sometimes, they're really poor interpreters of their situations. So as parents, we need to help them interpret the situation. Yeah. 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 And I think the other thing, when uh, Ali showed Savannah this book, I was thinking oh my goodness, Savannah's going to just think this is a joke and she's going to, next day she's going to be running around the house saying, you know, all the body parts, um, you know, and just joking about it. But actually she didn't. And what, what we discovered is actually, and, and I, I, if you remember the, after the first uh, week we started the series and I said, it just felt like we're, we've stepped into really sacred space. Like the whole, I, the, the whole thing around sexuality is actually really sacred, it's holy. And, and actually the, ki- the kids know that inherently as well. And so when you talk about it, with it within those sorts of um, parameters, then um, she actually felt that it was sacred and it was holy. And she didn't joke about it. She didn't run around telling her brothers and sisters about, you know, I learned this thing. You know, so I think um, actually trust that our kids are able to handle um, the conversation. Silence is, is the worst conversation when it comes to sexuality. Yeah. If you're silent, the world is very loud in this area. So you cannot be silent. So you have to read your child where they are at their stage and the conversations are having to be had a lot younger. Mm. So you are looking around the 9, 10-year-old age. You're, you're needing to have those conversations. All right, thank you, Ali. Uh, so, Michael, the church should be a safe place to talk about sexuality and their sexual brokenness, but is the church safe? Um. People in the church are safe. Some people in the church are safe. Not everyone is safe. Um, And um, I I think when we think about the church, it's really easy to think about the the church as an institution. And I think we, um, you know, we hear things all the time on the news about how um, churches and and other organisations haven't been safe when it's come to um, sexual abuse and sexual trauma and um, and I think that's really, really sad. Um, we are currently working for a, to go alongside our next series, um, Bearing Witness. We're doing some small group stuff um, for our groups, and it is called Becoming a Safe People. Because we, like, we can't finish the topic on sexuality and then just go, great, tick that one off. No, like we actually need to continue. What does it really mean to navigate this well, become a safe people, so that we can become a redemptive community? Um, the other thing as well, uh, as, a, as a movement, uh, uh, unfo- uh, luckily our, our movement didn't, didn't get involved in this, but right now across New Zealand there are whole church denominations and others, um, other organisations that are having to give an account for how they've dealt with sexual abuse. 
um, and that's a massive inquiry that's going on right now. Uh, our movement's not involved in it, but we have a close connection with a movement that is very involved in it. And so uh, Sarah and I are on the national leadership team and uh, we've been charged with actually um, taking what they are, uh, have put together for their movement and adapting it for us so that our movement can become churches of safe communities. Um, so that we can actually navigate this well. And I, I think, in all honesty, it comes down to what I talked about last week. Are we, are we going to be hard on sin, or are we going to be honest about sin? And if we're a community that's honest about it, we create an environment where everyone can be honest, including ourselves, you know, and being honest about where we're at. And if we're creating an honest community, then people can be honest and vulnerable. Yeah. yeah. And it's the gospel. The gospel is not just about sin. The gospel is about protecting and those that are suffering as well. Totally. So it's both sides. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ellie, how do you heal from the pain and trauma of being abused? Yeah, that's a big one. And I think for this one too, um, for me it's definitely been a journey with Jesus. And I think that's when you have to make the choice in your own mind that I trust Jesus in this and I'm going to journey through this journey with him. And for me, I think he's just such a gentleman that once again, once you get saved, he doesn't throw everything at you and be like, now we, we need to sort this all out. So it's definitely been a process of time where I find the Holy Spirit, sometimes he kind of taps on your shoulder and nudges you in a cape. You're ready to deal with this situation now and he kind of brings it up. And I think for me, it's, um, it's been different for different scenarios. But, you know, one scenario is definitely once you're in a place and you've got that safe community around you, you've got some people you can trust. Often the father's like, okay, I know you're not going to fall apart if we deal with this situation right now. So if you feel like some things from your past are actually coming up and you're thinking about them lots, don't just stuff them down. That's actually the Holy Spirit saying you're actually you're coming into more maturity and you're ready to deal with this. Mm-hmm. So I think you just have to be really in tune with that with the Holy Spirit. If you're unsure about what that looks like in your life, like how do I hear from the Holy Spirit, definitely you need to have a conversation with one of us because um, often it's this little voice in your head and you, you're like, this person makes sense. Um, it's not my words, it's his words. Um, so definitely with that, I think it's having safe community people around you to talk. Because once you actually get it out there, then it's time to heal from it. Um, having that close relationship, actually trying to, journeying with the Father, I think for me that's kind of where my journey went. Once I actually discovered who the Father was, I was ready to open up to a lot more healing. Um, because I was in that safe, secure place. So it's definitely, um, as you journey with the Father and opening up for healing, it's, it becomes a lot less sting in the pain. I think the Father really helps you heal from things without, like it hurts, but there's no sting to that pain. And I think also, I, I, you get to a point, you can look at people and be like, I can separate you from your actions and sin. Like I can see that person and I can give forgiveness because I separate them from their actions because I believe that they live in a fallen world and I can't expect them to live like Jesus and treat me like Jesus when they don't know Jesus. Mm. So I think it really helps when you start having compassion for other people and realizing, okay, yes, they hurt me or whatever's happened, but I can separate them from the behavior, then I can actually give forgiveness and I can trust in the Father. I think a huge thing is trust and control. Because I think a lot of us, we can carry that hurt into our relationships and we want to control even like our sexual relationships with our husband. We want to control everything and it causes a lot of anxiety. Um, And I think if you definitely, if you're married and you're definitely wanting intimacy and you've got some hurts and pains in the past, it will affect your sex life. And I think a lot of times it's... um, 
we were talking about this the other day, like for men, it, sex is a stress release for men. For women, we have to not, if we've got anxiety, there's like, that's it, not happening. So it's total opposites for females and males. So definitely if you've got things in your life that you're not dealing with, it's going to be causing some, some length of anxiety in your life. And so you've got to realize it's going to affect the other half. Um, and it's also affecting you and your life. So it's taking that journey of, okay, I'm going to trust God in this. Like, I, that's why I think for me, it always comes back to, do I trust? And realizing that God has created us to be one and to enjoy each other. He's created us to have pleasure together. And if that's not happening, I really need to be um, having those good questions in myself and actually saying, okay, I need to actually let go of control in some areas of my life. And I felt like that was for me. I really needed to let go of some controls, feeling like I needed to be the safety net. I needed to hold it all together. And that's actually not the case. It's actually more you give over, the more freedom and the more joy and the more pleasure you're actually going to find. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah. And would you suggest counselling for some for those that have been affected by trauma and abuse? Oh, I think definitely because I think some of us, um, definitely in some scenarios in mine, it really helped. I did some uh, what they call sozo, and I've been to counselling because um, some of it you actually you can bury it down and you totally forget about it. And I think for me that was some of it I actually buried so deep I I totally didn't know it was there, but I knew something wasn't right. And so it's definitely um, I've always been a big advocate of. I want, to, I want to sort this out because I don't want anything kind of holding me back. So definitely I would suggest um, finding a safe person. Your counselling, um, healing ministries are really a great yeah. places to go to for that. Because yeah. sometimes it, it's even just getting the other healing that you need to come to a place to be able to have that healing for that deeper hurts. It's like an onion. You've got to start peeling that onion back to get to the core. And I don't know when you get to the core of the onion, that's when the eyes start pouring and watering. Um, and so I think sometimes, and also I've learned crying is actually good. Crying is freeing. Crying, often I feel like the Holy Spirit's doing some healing when I have a good, a good blah in worship. You walk away and you're like, what was that? But it's actually some of the onion layers coming off. Yeah. yeah. I've just got one more thought. Ellie's going to be speaking on grief in our next series as well because I think grief is a really, really important part. Actually, what does it look like to grieve with God? Because he wants to grieve with you. Um, I think, especially in charismatic Pentecostal sort of environments, we, we think that faith means not having feelings or something, you know, like, but actually what faith is, is going, I feel this and I'm going to bring it to God. So, so we aren't transformed by the gospel, we're, we're transformed by our response to the gospel. So in our, in our faith and repentance, as we, as we respond to his call, we're transformed. Um, and, and what's happening is we're, um, you know, it's that picture of the lens. You know, God doesn't want to give us a new lens. He actually wants to take those glasses off. He wants to restore the way that we see. So the way that we see God, the way that we see ourselves, and the way that we see others. And that's, that's his, re- his redemptive way. Yeah. There's also a scripture, it's in Psalms, but it says um, that he collects our tears in jars and he stores them in heaven mm. so like every tear you shed like it it means so much to him that he actually stores those up yeah. and I think that's definitely something for me that through those times you know that the father he is just as upset as you are as some of the things that might have happened in your life and often when you look back you can see that Jesus actually was there mm. and Jesus was weeping as well mm. And I think that's a thing to remind ourselves that he's never left you he'd never forsake you that he was there but we do live in a fallen world mm. Uh, so if we see sex and sexuality as something that's been off limits or done in secret, how can we turn that one off once we're married? 
Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a hard one. I think that's what Michael's talking about, that purity culture. You can, something that's suddenly like, one day is really terrible and bad, do not do it. Next day, go, go have fun, frolic. <laughs> like frolic in the fields and enjoy it. And it's like, you just, like, you can't just flick a switch. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. And I think, um, for me, I didn't grow up with the purity narrative. I grew up with the door shut, parents didn't say anything, so you kind of just were left to your own devices, which, which isn't healthy, because then you actually have no radar. Um, you're led by the world, you're led by what's happening, you're led by friends, there's no, we actually, I've learned as a parent, we thrive in boundaries. <laughs> Kids thrive, they actually love boundaries, they love knowing what's happening, they love no, yes, no, what can I do? They actually thrive in that, and as parents, I think sometimes now we're too scared to give too many boundaries because we think we're going to scare our kids off, but they, they love boundaries. But I think once again, we're already, um, I think if your kids see a healthy, passionate relationship, our kids often see us kissing, they're like, ew, like, <laughs> and now, yeah, and with Savannah now, she's a bit older, she's like, I want another sibling, go, 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 go parents, and we're like, stop, <laughs> child, stop. Um, so I think once again, it's actually creating healthy sexual conversations in the home, and that's something I noticed massively when I married Michael, because I've come from quite a, um, a different background to Michael. I remember just not how long after we married, his dad was around fixing some of his house. His mum was at the bottom of the ladder, and she's like, look, Ellie, check him out. Look at my man. And I was like, ooh, like, gross. You're like, oh. But I was like, I loved seeing that they were still crazy in love. And so I think with like what you're, the question there is, once again, it's really modeling these things in home. It's, I even, like, even talking to Savannah, like sex is something that is so beautiful. And when you keep it into a marriage, it actually flourishes so much more. And it's something to be excited about and look forward to. So I'm not trying to say, don't go and do it. I'm saying, I know I've been broken and I know how much it hurts. I said, it takes from you every single time and it's taking me years to pick up the pieces. Mm. So I constantly kind of having those conversations with Svan and saying, I know from lots of deep hurt, honey, that it's not worth it. But once you find it in that sacredness of marriage, and, and also because mm. she's got a different dad, I can say to her, she knows the hurt and pain she has to live through right. having separate families. And I said to her, that's not your fault, but it was never God's design for, for children to have to deal with that. Because she questions, where do I belong? Do I belong here? Do I belong there? But that's why God created marriage. And I think constantly bringing children to that this is why God created it. It's not just for me. It's for the generations to come after me. It's protecting a legacy. It's something that's so beautiful to have. Um, so I think it's, yeah, really lots of healthy sexual conversations. Um, I think to a few are young. So for many women, many Christian women, they've had to be gatekeepers. Yeah. That's a reality because, you know, I guess in the Christian church, we've been taught that men can't control themselves. Uh, therefore, women have to be the gatekeeper, um, which can be really tough when, yeah. when you're dating. Um, and I think what's really important is to be building intimacy around conversation yeah. so that when they are married, when you are married, you are able to, um, yeah, disconnect a little bit from that shame narrative, but yeah. just having yeah, really healthy, open conversations. I guess if you are dating, maybe don't, you know, sex is behind the door, obviously, but you need to have those conversations. Yeah, I think if you're dating, I mean, it is a challenge. I mean, God has given us a sexual desire and there's tension and there's that. I think it's having clear conversations with each other. What are our values? What are our morals? Um, it shouldn't just be bent onto the girl. She shouldn't have to be having to control him yeah. yeah yeah that shouldn't be the conversation once again it come it comes back to how content are you with Jesus because I, I think sexual desire gets carried away is actually when you're still, you're trying to get Jesus from them 
Mm. You're trying to get joy, you're trying to get peace, you're trying to get worth, you're trying to get value from another person. So if you're feeling really sexually charged towards something or another situation, or you're feeling vulnerable and you feel like you just have to give, once again, it comes back to your self-worth and self-value because I found that's what was my trigger growing up is that I needed love. I I thought I was getting security. I needed security, I needed love, and I was looking for it in all the wrong places and it just causes a lot of hurt and brokenness and even coming into a relationship obviously I I was a really good heathen and then I met Michael and even like for him he's like no we're not doing this till marriage um, I actually found that really I was the one that actually found that hard I was the one that was actually pushing the lines because I found that hard because I was like no that's rejection like I'm feeling rejection here so that was more my own brokenness that I had to deal with um, when we were dating we were engaged um, but there was me and two other friends who had long, long-term relationships, and uh, we every Saturday we would go and have breakfast together, and it was it was just our little space of keeping each other accountable and, and just talking with each other around around how we were you know managing uh, to keep our hands off our girlfriends. Um, <laughs> but anyway, Ellie's Ellie's just come like straight out of um, you know the world she's just saved and she's laughed she's like I've never heard of three like young guys getting together to talk about how they can't have sex with like how to not have sex with their with their girlfriends but that's what we that's what we did because we we wanted to uh, encourage one another in that and, and we wanted to um you know we wanted to to um yeah come into our marriage yeah. knowing that we had, had done that. Uh, yeah, yeah. On, honored our, our spouses yeah yeah yeah, so I think that's, um, yeah, and I think the other thing that I, th- I feel like I, I missed out on when I was growing up is I was always told what not to do, um, but I was never taught about what it meant to bring, um, to, to surrender those desires to Jesus um, and to walk by the Spirit. You know, what does it actually mean to put off the flesh and to put on the Spirit of God, you know, and, and to be clothed in Him. And so I, I think those are really important conversations that if you're walking with someone, um, help them with that. Don't just say, well, that's naughty, don't do it. Actually, it's always the same. Just point them to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Just keep pointing them to Jesus, and, and that, I think that's the key, yeah. Great, and so moving on from there, can we talk about the flip side of the purity culture and being mocked for wanting to stay pure and then being pressured for sex? Yeah, that's a, that's a hard one. Once again, it comes, especially for our young ones, that comes to that scripture that we are meant to be a set-apart people. Mm. We are going to look different. And Jesus never said it's going to be a skip and a hop and a little la-la down the road. Yeah. You know, like there is going to be trials and tribulations. Um, and once again, it's having yourself anchored in that storm, knowing why we're standing for these things. I think that's a big thing. The kid, you need For us, our children, everyone needs to have a big enough why to outweigh the desires and the pressures and the things that are going on. And if you don't have a big enough why, then it's going to be easily be persuaded. And yes, people people are mean. And yes, it is very unusual now for people to abstain before marriage. That is not the norm. But for me now, especially becoming Christian, is like the the scales that came off my eyes and I can totally see why and how God created that. Mm. Um, And I think that's where you need to have a deep enough desire to know why God created it that way to be able to understand why yep. you're, you're abstaining. Otherwise, if it's just a rule and you got told not to do it because it's naughty, um, there's going to be a time where the switch is going to flip and you're going to go crazy out the other end. And you don't want to do that, 
yeah. do that to yourself because it's going to cause a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, and yet it takes years to heal from it. Yeah, yeah. I think um, we we need to have a more profound yes. Yeah. That's it's is, is I think for me it's, it's it's that simple. We we need to have a more profound yes to actually give us the to empower us to to say no to some things. If we're living with a with a profound yes, then to say yes to something means we're saying no to something else. But if we just focus on the no's, yeah. then um, you know that's that's willpower, yeah. and morality plus willpower does not equal holiness. So it's actually living by a more profound yes, and Jesus is that more profound yes. Mm-hmm. So I think rather than going, how can I not do something? Think about how how can I how can I live with a more profound yes with Jesus? How do I grow more in knowing Him? Um, and let my affections be more for him than for these other things. Yeah. And there is in like, um, it's going to, scientific stuff gets gross, but anyway, um, I'll say it. Um, like, you know how like in the Bible it says you become one flesh when you're married? It's, that's actually part of having sex, is that it's really gross when we say it, but their bodily fluids join with your bodily fluids, <laughs> it actually changes your DNA. Like, it's scientifically proven it actually alters you. So it's even, like, have understanding, like, every time I give myself away, I'm actually, I'm, I'm tying, I'm connecting, I, I am actually becoming one with this person. And, like, do you want to become one with, you know, like, all these people? It's going to take a lot of, that's why the healing process is so hard, is because of that connection. And so it's really important to understand some of, like, how God created, he said, to be one with your, one flesh with your husband. Like, what does that actually mean? Um, and understanding that and how that actually affects you, how that affects your mind, body, soul, spirit. How does that affect you as a human being? Um, yeah, there's a lot to it, more than just having some fun, messing up here and there. There's, it's a lot deeper than that. All right, so just the last set of questions. So, Michael, are people born gay? Because I've heard many testimonies about lives being turned around to be heterosexual. How can this be explained? Yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so there's no consensus scientific in the scientific world or the psychology world. There's, there's no consensus on whether someone is or isn't um, born gay. Um, so... Um, uh, and, and there's some really interesting TED Talks if you're interested in watching it. There's a, a woman called Dr. Lisa Diamond. Um, she has a good one. Um, and one of the leading scientists in this is, in fact, herself a lesbian. And so she, she's done a number of TED Talks on, um, on why the, the born gay thing is a myth. Um, and so I found that really interesting when I watched that and, and heard that. Um, so what, what, we, what we do know is that there are lots of things that are correlation but not causation. Um, and so I, so I want to um, uh, caveat that all with this, that um, while there is no uh, conclusion on that, uh, that, does not people, that does not mean that people choose to be gay or choose to have gender dysphoria. So it, it doesn't mean they can just flick a switch and stop. Like, they didn't choose it, they can't unchoose it. Um, and so that's really important for us to understand when we're, when we're walking with people. Um, and so, um, yeah, so it's, uh, I mean, uh, and there's lots of, uh, yes, I, I've read lots of stories um, and uh, I've been a part of the change movement and done their course and, and everything and they have lots and lots of testimonies of, of people who, uh, who were once gay and are now saying, I, 
I'm no longer gay or no longer um, are trans. But um, then there's also the flip side of that is you've got the Exodus uh, organisation in America which went for 38 years and was the leading uh, place where people went uh, to um, come, you know, the word they would use is to, to come out of their gay lifestyle or whatever. So that went for 38 years. It closed down in 2013 and they publicly apologised and said no one ever changed. Um, and so what I'm saying all this because I, th I think we're, we're often unwilling to really engage in the conversation. We, we find something that suits our opinion and we stop there. But if you actually really want to engage in this conversation, you have to engage fully and see what, what is really happening out there. Um, and so, I mean, you've got people like Jackie Hill Perry um, who wrote the book um, Gay Girl, Good God. And, um, and she's now married with kids. Um, I was watching an interview with her the other day and she was talking about how she still experiences same-sex attraction. She, but she has just submitted that to Jesus. She said, I discovered a greater affection for my life than the affections I was having. Right? And so, but the person interviewing her was shocked because they, that's not what they were expecting her to say. Um, and so I, I think we need to be really, really careful about what we, um, how we engage with this conversation. And just like Elia said, just because someone comes to Jesus doesn't mean that tomorrow they're going to stop doing X, Y, and Z or, or to stop doing Like you just need to continue um, walking with them. And so I would recommend again um, reading, um, reading the book, um, Messy Grace. Um, and engaging uh, with him, but engage with all sides of the conversation. Um, so if we're gonna have an opinion, like I talked about in one of the messages I talked about, um, we, we need to have a permission and responsibility culture. So, so you have permission to believe whatever you want, but whatever you believe, make sure you take responsibility for it. And so just, just looking at things that agree with your opinion is not taking responsibility for your belief. And so I would encourage you to, to engage with all sides of the conversation. Um, I, I, I you know, said in one of the messages why I didn't, um, why I wasn't on the affirming side, but I have watched and read some of the best teachers that have come out of the affirming side. Justin Lee is a brilliant, brilliant guy, and, and if you want to engage with all conversations, read his book, Torn, um, or have a listen to him. Um, but don't just have a, an opinion um, and then be ignorant about your opinion. That's not helpful for anyone um, because we need to be honest about how we are journeying with people and engage fully in the conversation. So, um, so yes, um, there's no consensus on that and there certainly seems, um, like I said, I'm part of the change movement on a Facebook group, actually, um, and there are testimonies all the time in there, um, but I don't know them personally. Do you know what I mean? So, so I don't have a personal testimony where I can say this person, um, but I've seen lots of testimonies, but then I've seen lots and lots of testimonies of, of Christians who are still experiencing same-sex attraction and submitting that to Jesus and living that out. And man, do they know what it means to carry the cross in a way I will never, ever, ever know. And I think we need to honour them in that. Yeah. Yep. Um, so this next question we've had a variety of times in different ways. Um, if you've been watching the Scottcast, you might have heard us tackle it before, but we just want to do it again from stage. Uh, so what would Jesus do? Would Jesus call someone by a preferred pronoun which reinforces who Satan says they are, or would Jesus call someone up into the identity that he created for them in his image because he loves them? 
Yeah, um, so, um, so we've had, like uh, Sarah said, we've had this back and forth a little bit on the Squadcast. Um, and on the Squadcast, what I did was give an invitation to this person to actually come and have a coffee with me um, and to talk with me. So what I want to do is respond with this, to this question with an invitation, uh, some considerations, some observations, and a recommendation. Is that all right? Um, this is, so I, I struggle a little bit when I receive a question that says, is it this or that? Because that, that's pigeonholing, and it's actually not a fair way to ask a question. Um, when we are honest about engaging with people, we ask um, questions that engage, not give. You either need to pick this or that, and if you pick this, then you're that, and if you pick this, then you're that. Um, you see the Pharisees doing that to Jesus all the time. Um, so I want to I want to ask um, firstly, hey, I, I want to give an invitation. Come and have a coffee, and let's talk about this um, because it needs to be wrestled with. Um, I also said on the squadcast that I think everyone should have their own conviction on this. I'm quite happy for everyone to have their own conviction on it. Just don't have a conviction that actually excludes you from engaging with people. Um, and don't have a, con a conviction that you're not willing to take responsibility for. So um, le let me give you some considerations. I, when I was uh, in America, we uh, actually went to the Changed uh, Movement seminar, or I did, Ali went to a different one, um, and someone asked this exact same question, um, but it was toned a little bit differently, but, um, but they, were, they stood up and asked this question, and they asked, and when they asked it, you could tell that this person had such empathy and such care. They were talking about their friend that they were walking with, and they were asking this question, what pronouns should I be using? And you could hear the compassion and the empathy in their heart as they, as they asked the question. And so I, I genuinely hope that this question is asked from the same, from the same place. Um, but um, so, so my first um, consideration is this, is what, what is the motivation for asking the question? Is your motivation one of empathy and care, is, or is it, um, is it one of just, I, I think I'm right on this? Um, we had a, an article sent to us um, which had a, a different opinion. Um, the, the problem with the article, there was, it was, had a massive hole in the article, and that was any actual stories of walking with people from the LGBT community. It was just an opinion piece. Where what we need is actual redemptive stories. And how are people that are walking with people from the LGBT, how are they doing it? So, so my first consideration is what, is what is your motivation? Are you actually interested in walking with people or do you just have an opinion? Um, the second um, consideration is this, is what is your relationship to the person? Because I genuinely hope if you're asking the question, you have a relationship with someone that you were asking the question about. So what is your relationship to them? And I think that's an important question to ask. Um, I have read stories about a, a grandma who uh, uh, her um, daughter uh, had come out as uh, experiencing gender dysphoria and was transitioning or wanting to um, be known as a, as a male. So grandma uh, said, I, I don't feel like I can um, use the pronoun that you want. I'll use the name, and I think that's a different question as well. Some people will go, I'm quite happy to use the name, but I'm not gonna use the pronoun. 
Um, but here's the thing. Please follow the example of this grandma. Grandma took them out for lunch, loved on them all afternoon and explained why and had an honest conversation. So here's the thing. If you're going to hold the position where you're saying, I, I'm going to refuse to use the pronoun, please, for the love of God, love on them. Take them out for lunch. Invite them into your home and be honest about why you aren't. Otherwise, just stay away from the conversation. Um, so what is your relationship to the person? So, so it, because, and I think the grandma was able to do that because of the relationship she had. And so that's a really important question we need to ask. What relationship do we have to this person? Am I just meeting them? Um, or do I know them well? Have I been walking with them for a while? You know, so these are really, really important um, questions to consider. Um, the, next, the next consideration is what hill do you want to die on? Do you actually want to walk with this person or not? Because the way that you approach them in the first conversation will determine whether they are going to allow you to walk with them or not. And so if you want to die on the hill of being right in your opinion, um, then that will be the end of your journey with them. Um, or do you actually want to gain influence with them and walk with them and show them love? So what hill do you want to die on is a good consideration to think about. Um, the next thing there, and this ties into the relationship thing, is, is if you've met one trans person, you have met one trans person. They all have very, very, very different stories and totally different reasons for why they are trans or why they are considering um, transitioning. Um, and so... Um, and so it's really important that you actually take some time to hear their story and consider why, why, are they, why are they experiencing this? How are they experiencing this? And how are they navigating experiencing this? Because they're all really important questions. So, so if you've met one trans person, you've met one trans person. The next one, next consideration is, is, accept, is acceptance agreement? And you need to settle your heart on that, is acceptance agreement. And uh, that's a really important consideration. So my observations are, my observation is this. I've done a huge amount of study and a huge amount of research and a huge amount of reading and listening to stories and engaging with people and engaging with uh, organizations and churches that are, are doing this, what I would say, well, all right, in a really redemptive way. Um, from, from what I have discovered so far, 100% of the people and organizations, churches that are um, engaging with the LGBT community in redemptive ways, 100% say, yes, we will use their pronoun. 100%. They, these are people who are actually engaging in redemptive ways. All right, so, so um, I encourage you, go and listen, go and discover, go and read, so that you can actually have a reason for your position, not just to have a position. Um, and so, again, my recommendation on this is go, go read Messy Grace. Go listen to, I can send you a podcast um, from uh, Kate with Caleb and Preston Sprinkle, where Caleb talks about journeying with a lesbian couple for two years in his church, and then how, how that all happened and what happened out of that. So, um, and so I would encourage you to go um, listen to that. And again, I want to invite you, if, if this is you that's asking these questions, come and see me after. Say, that's me. Can we have a coffee? I will shout you a coffee, and let's have an honest conversation about it. Yep. 
comes to picking your battles too, isn't it? Totally. It's like, is that battle really worth that fight using that pronoun, like picking your battles, or is them discovering who Jesus is fully? Yeah. Yep. A bigger, you know, like it's choosing yeah. those battles. Oh, and I'll just say one other thing as well, if that's okay. Have we got time? Way over time. Oh, gosh. Sorry. Um, I think this is important. So I, I read a story about um, a, a, a trans person who was in a church for five years before they opened up to their pastor and said, by the way, I'm not actually a girl originally. Five years. No one knew. All right. So, so I think we, like someone asked me this question once and I said, how, how, what if you don't know? What are you going to do then? Are you partnering with the devil accidentally? Or like, you know, it's, um, and, and so what happened with this person is that the pastor didn't change his opinion. He didn't say, well, I'm going to call you, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I find it really, you know, there's lots of things to consider about with that. Uh, but this person actually went through a really hard time in their life. The pastors actually took them into their home and loved on them for another couple of years. And they, they actually ended up transitioning back. Um, but... What a journey. What a long journey. And it was just through love and care and empathy and walking with people in genuine, loving ways. Truth has to be embodied. It has to be embodied. And it has to be embodied by the church. The spirit-filled people of God need to embody the truth. Yeah. Yeah, if we've got time. The music team can come back. Yeah, the music team get ready to come back. All right, uh, so this is the final question. Uh, can you give a few examples of what it would look like for our church to show love and support for LGBTQ community as a whole? Would this be by attending a pride parade or uh, with them or wearing rainbow t-shirts on Pride Day? Yeah, so I think um, it sounds like um, the person asking the question, and it's hard because you know you don't hear, you're not actually having an honest conversation with people, but um, it's, it sounds like uh, we're, we're still stuck in the, is it this or is it that narratives? Um, I, I, the, the church is you, you and me. The church is not an institution. The church is not an organization. I think when we start to engage in this conversation as an organization, then we step into the culture war. Um, the whole point of the series for us has been how do we become a community of redemptive love? So, my, so the question that, that I'm wanting to ask each of us or is how are we going to love the person that walks in the door? How are we going to love the person that's in my workplace? How are we going to love the person that's in my family? Not um, should we do this? And so I would say, no, I, that's not the point of this. I don't I, I personally wouldn't go to a pride parade. I personally wouldn't wear a, a pride t-shirt or, or anything like that. Um, because for me, that's not what this is about. This is about loving people, individuals who walk in the doors, who we meet every day, loving them. That's, that's what we're called to. We're not called to uh, be a, an organization that's in this battle, you know, whatever. It's loving people, yeah. yeah. Great. Thanks, Amanda. Yeah. I think it's reminding ourselves we're all sexually broken one way or another. Totally. That could have easily been me through sexual brokenness. You know, yeah. like, we're all carrying something. It just looks different. You know, like, at this, we all have our own issues. We all have our own sin things going on. It just looks different. It reminds me of when I got saved and I came to church with my new newborn as, like, a 21-year-old. I was like, my sin's obvious. Everyone's going to judge me because I'm carrying my sin. 
you know, like it's obvious what I've done. But everyone just loved me in that place and made me feel welcome. No one pointed out, oh, you're not married. Like no one actually said that to me. They just loved me in that place. But this is no different. This is no different to that. We all have our own brokenness and issues. We all have our own journey. And we've got to remind, remind ourselves that God's outside of time. So what we think is taking a long time for someone to journey through things, it, we just don't know the bigger picture. Yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, uh, let's do communion. Um, yeah. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, well, why don't we stand this morning? I just want to pray as we, as we um, gather around communion. Uh, we've got a new song this morning called Fresh Wind. Uh, it's a really powerful song. I just want to offer as well, if you're here this morning, maybe something has just sort of triggered something for you and you would like to receive prayer. We, we do have the team and maybe um, Haynes and Karen, do you guys want to come forward at some point? They'll, they'll just be up here and other people that um, will be able to pray for you. Um, but uh, yeah, let's, let's pray. But I'm just really, you know, this new song, Fresh Wind, it's such a powerful song. And, um, you know, I think it just reminds me that above all else, we, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to navigate these things well and um, to bring healing and hope into a lost and broken world. Father, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you, Father, that you are love. We thank you that love is not something you have. Love is something you are. And that reminds us that everything else must come in under what it means to be love. So justice comes in under love. That, that the whole idea of, of you, Holy Spirit, convicting us of sin actually comes in under love. You always do things in redemptive and loving ways. And so we thank you for that. We just pray that as we, as we finish up this series, that, that we would continue to become a community of redemptive love, a, a safe people for those who are, who are hurting, for those that are broken, for those that, that, that are lost, for those that are searching for you, Father, that we would be a safe place for people to come. As you invite them, we know that you do the inviting. And we thank you, Father, that you are helping us to become more like you every day. So we thank you, Lord. Yeah, in Jesus' name. Yeah, amen. Amen. All right, let's respond this morning. Let's worship. Let's gather around communion together.